Good morning, everybody. Is this thing on? Can y'all hear me? No? Hey, turn me up one time, DJ. What'd you do? Hello, test, test. Can y'all hear me now? Man. It's almost, it's almost too breathtaking to watch this many men worship God in the way that they just worship God. I really had intentions of getting somewhere with this sermon before I started crying. However, uh, that seems to be a challenge this morning. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the retreat. Um, you know, I, I was on the Unashamed podcast with Jason them a uh, few weeks ago, and uh, Jason said something to me. He said, man, uh, whenever I spoke at CR, that was the rowdiest crew I had ever been in front of and was worshiping with, right? Not no more. No, now the rowdiest crew is here on Sunday morning in WFR Church, baby. So, if you notice, right over here on stage right, we got a giant cross and it's got a bell attached to it. All you men that were on the retreat, if you rang that bell, I want you to stand up. Stay standing one second. Don't hold on, Josh. Hold on. <laughs> I want all of y'all to take a look at the men that are standing here. And I just want you to kind of just evaluate. Because I imagine the guys that are standing here are people that you thought probably had it together. They're probably some dudes that you've been letting shepherd you. For years, there are probably some guys that have been leading your family. There are probably some successful men and everything like that. But at the end of the day, they rang that bell. All right, y'all can sit down now. I've been pretty much yelling at them dudes all weekend, so they're used to it. So, this weekend was powerful. Right. It was super powerful. And uh, normally on these retreats, whenever we do them, you kind of come up with this theme verse and then you you base the retreats theme on a certain section of scripture. However, for this retreat, we decided to go with an entire chapter. Right. And so the theme for the weekend was to be ready to do good. I want everybody to say with me real quick. Say, be ready. Be ready. Say, be ready. be ready. If you always ready, you ain't got to get ready. You get what I'm saying? I'm going to tell you this quick story about this Scottish farmer. So there's a Scottish farmer, and one day uh, while he was working, he hears a cry, from he- a cry for help from a nearby bog. So the, far- so the farmer hearing... Uh, the cries for help drops everything that he's doing and he ran towards the bog. As he gets closer the, to the cries for help, he sees a young boy terrified screaming for help. The boy was trapped waist deep in the bog and was struggling to get out. So the farmer goes into action. 
He pulls him out of the bog. The next day, this fancy carriage pulls up. And outside the farmer's home, a sharp-dressed man steps out of the carriage. And he walks up to the farmer and introduces himself as the father of the boy he saved the day before. And so this nobleman, if you will, says to the farmer, I appreciate what you did in saving my son. I want to repay you. But the farmer, in his humility, replied, No, sir, I will not accept any payment for doing what I did. And as they're having this conversation, the farmer's son walks up, and the nobleman sees him and says, Hey, is that your son? And, of course, the farmer's like, Yep, that's mine. And so the nobleman says, Okay, look, let me make you a deal. How about you let me provide for him the same level of education that my son will get to enjoy? And so the farmer, being a good father, says, yeah. The nobleman says, good, because I have no doubt if he's anything like his father, he would grow up to be a man we can all be proud of. So that's what happened. The farmer's son gets to attend one of the best schools and then years later would go on to graduate from St. Mary's Hospital Medical School in London. He went on to be known throughout the world as Alexander Fleming, who discovered penicillin. Several years would go by. And then that same nobleman's son, who had his life saved by the farmer many years ago, would fall ill, and the penicillin that the farmer's son discovered would save that son again. The name of the nobleman's son was Winston Churchill. See, I thought that was a fake story. No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, that's a true story. But the thing is, this isn't just some what goes around comes around type of story. The truth is, you never really know what doing good will produce. You don't really actually know what the actions that uh, the actions that you have today will produce for somebody tomorrow. And you don't know how then God will use that to keep it going, keep that thing flowing. Sometimes for people doing good to others doesn't come easy. Sometimes it's a struggle especially when we feel like we are judged, treated wrongly, or right in our frustrations or discontent for someone. But we have this call as believers to be ready to do what is good and profitable regardless of the circumstances. And that's what being a kingdom man is about, doing what is right, even when it's the unpopular thing to do, even when it means I have to be humble and take the lowest of seats. So we've been doing this series on kingdom life, right? We started, Ryan did kingdom life, and then we had the women and then the, the marriages and everything. And, and it's all about how to conduct yourself as, as a kingdom person, right, and live in this world. And so I get the honor of talking about being a kingdom man, right, which you might find hard to believe based on my short stature, okay, <laughs> which Grant Taylor loves to point out literally everywhere we go. So I'm going to read you uh, a little bit of our theme chapter this morning as we go through this. Uh, but what that chapter is, is Titus 3. So I kind of want to put in context what the book of Titus actually is, okay? Um, because I think sometimes we, we, we go to a section of Scripture, we start looking at it, and then, like, we don't actually get the context. So we're looking, we're looking at it from a today 
point of view as aside from the actual context to who it was written to, why it was written, and everything else. Now, we have application today, which I'm going to go through here in just a minute. Also, I want to say this. Uh, if y'all have never heard me speak before, there's a great probability that at some point I'm going to start yelling. Okay? I don't want all the people in the back to get freaked out. It's all good. Okay? And then there's another probability that I'm going to throw these notes out the window and it's going to get real weird. Okay? So I want y'all to just kind of relax and have the freedom. Okay? Y'all got some freedom in here today. We ain't going to do the typical church thing where y'all come, sit down, be quiet, and everything else. If you hear something that relates to you, say amen. If you hear something funny, laugh. It's okay. I promise you there's going to be a lot of laughing and joy in heaven. Okay? So why is it whenever we come into a place that's supposed to help us remember who Jesus is, we're just all quiet, we're reserved and chill. Oh, nope, you better not be laughing, boy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay. Have fun. Have a good time, man. I'm going to have a good time. I might have too much of a good time. Now I'll be asking for a job next week, but that's whatever. But let's look at the context of Titus. Um, Titus was a Greek Christian and a traveling companion of Paul. And he had been with Paul and helped him in several crisis-type situations. So Paul had assigned Titus uh, the task of going to Crete, which is a small island off the coast of Greece, to restore order to a network of house churches that were there. So let's just kind of talk about the Isle of Crete and the culture that was there. So the Cretan culture was known for their treachery and greed. One of the Greek words for liar was kretisko, which literally means to be a Cretan. Boy, you know that your neighborhood's bad whenever they come up with words to describe bad people based on your neighborhood. You get what I'm saying? I'm from a neighborhood like that. You might find that hard to believe based on my cowboy boots. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, to be in Crete was, I mean, it had such a, a stigma attached to it that they literally came up with a word that means liar. And that's basically to be like a Cretan, right? Like, man, that dude's a liar. He's a Cretan. Most of the men on the island were known for being paid mercenary soldiers to the highest bidders. And the island was known for being unsafe, plagued by violence and sexual corruption. However, the island of Crete had many strategic harbors and service cities all over the ancient Mediterranean Sea. And so from Paul's point of view, Crete was the perfect place to start a network of churches. Now, don't I'm I'm resist the urge of going off on how like wise uh, and, and connected to the father, the apostle Paul was. However, my dude was a little crazy. Okay. He's like, man, here's this super sketchy split. There's this super sketchy Island. It's dangerous. People say not to go there unless you're, uh, parking a boat, but I'll tell you what, that's where we need to go. Right. There we go. Kurt, that's what I'm talking about. And so this isn't even in the, but like realistically, how many times has God called you to go somewhere that you didn't want to go? Right. How many times has God said, hey, I need you to go and take care of something for me. But then we say, because I don't want to do it, then, then that must mean it's not God. I've studied all throughout Scripture. And one thing I can guarantee you is that God typically asks people to do things they don't want to do. OK. It's true. 
It's true. He asked, he asked, uh, he asked Abraham to take Isaac up on a hill. He asked Moses to go back to Egypt. Guess what? He asked Jesus to go to a cross. Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but thy will be done. It's not like Jesus was like, man, I'm going to that cross today, boys. Woo! You know what I'm saying? He was in agony. He was called to do something that his earthly body did not want to do. To go through something that he didn't want to experience. However, thy will be done. So we're not really sure on the details, but we do know that these churches were being led by some corrupt Cretan leaders. And it was completely ruining those churches there in Crete. So Paul assigned Titus the task of remaining in Crete and setting things straight. And so the letter that we're going to read in Titus uh, provided those instructions. He starts the letter in chapter 1 telling Titus to appoint new leaders and elders. Uh, confront corrupt Cretan leadership because they were always doing things out of selfish intent and just completely being wrong with the way that they were handling stuff, the way that they were conducting themselves. Uh, they were claiming to be followers of Jesus, but still adhering to Cretan ways of life, right? That's something you got to be leery of, right? When you see somebody that's proclaiming Jesus, but then their life doesn't match up to what it is they're talking about, got to be a little bit leery sometimes. Then in chapter 2, Paul, Paul talks about giving new standards to the Cretan households. Because of the corrupt leaders, the so-called Christian households there were still filled with all kinds of ungodliness. And tell, I, I studied it. They had some weird stuff going on, even stuff that we call weird today. All right? And that lets you know. If it was weird back then, it's really weird. You know what I mean? And so Paul's addressing within the church and the household the standard for Christian behavior. The Christian way of life is based on God's generous grace. Calls people to a new way of life. To say no to ungodly Cretan ways of life. And it's because of this that then Paul zooms out in chapter 3 from the households to showing how Christians should live like different humans in society. That's where we'll be picking up. And so I'm going to go into some ways uh, a kingdom man should be ready to do good. We're going to go into some of that. The first way is don't be normal. Okay? Now you hear that and you're like, well, I'm just trying to be normal. Right? And whenever I worked as a counselor uh, on an inpatient level working with drug addicts and alcoholics, they would always come in and they would say, man, Brian, I just want to be normal. And then I would reply with, Normal's just a setting on a washing machine. You get what I'm saying? Don't be normal, man. It would be safe to say that you could draw some similarities to our society today and that of Cretan society, right? Remember, violent, filled with sexual immorality, disobedient liars, creating rebellion, just typically immoral. There's a lot of that going on in our society today, right? If you don't know that, then maybe you should go outside. <laughs> if you're struggling to come to that realization, but I'll tell you, we're out here in the trenches and it's tough. There's a lot of similarities with today's culture. The normal thing to do according to the world standard is to be combative and do as you feel, right? Just do what you feel, man. It's a good thing I don't do that no more. Because sometimes I feel really, I feel like doing some really bad stuff. 
I mean, I really do. I, and it's like, y'all heard me say this last time I spoke, but generally, I'm going to just be honest with all y'all, I don't like people. You know? You might say, oh, well, Brian, that's hard to believe and everything else. I'm, nope, nope, I just really don't. I love people, but I don't like hanging out with you. You get what I'm saying? And so it's a good thing that I don't just do as I feel or else I would have zero community. You get what I'm saying? I was having, uh, I was having lunch with, uh, Colin and Christy Dunn, uh, last, last, uh, last Sunday afternoon. And, um, Nona and Sage were there and we kind of got on the topic of Brian Rucker somehow. And, uh, and, and, and we were talking about like, yeah, I got to be mindful of the things that I do because like I've been told that I'm kind of unapproachable. Uh, and then Christy was like, yeah. And then she didn't follow it with nothing. She just said, yeah. And, and I'm like, I'm like, is it? No. Okay. All right. So I, I've been told, man, you're kind of unapproachable. You know, you look like you're mad all the time. I had a guy tell me, man, you just look like you angry all the time. And then some great wisdom came from a 13 year old girl because I was like, I was like, man, what? I don't know if it's I said I was sitting here trying to put into words what it is. I'm like, I'm not angry. I'm just kind of in the zone like I'm walking. I'm thinking. And she said, no, no, you just walk around. Your face is kind of uh, studious. Right. And I was like, yeah, that's it. And then I was secretly thinking, what does that mean? Okay, studious. All right. Uh, all right. I said, we're going to go with it. It sounds better than angry. So, and she's like, oh, it's just, you're always studying. And I'm like, that's it. That's it. Right. I'm going to kind of go into this a little bit more later, but doing as you feel may not always produce the best things. So what Paul tells them in verses one and two, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. Now, that doesn't sound normal if you're living in the standard of today's world, right? First, submit to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. It definitely wasn't normal for a Cretan man to submit to authorities, not to slander anyone and be gentle towards others. Remember, these were people from a violent culture. Most of the men became mercenaries. To be humble, gentle, and kind to them probably was a sign of weakness. The funny thing is, I'm going to just say, some of us guys carry ourselves around like that today, too. We carry ourselves around like that as we walk it through the church building, right? We just have, have this demeanor. I remember whenever I was coming up uh, in my past life, like, you had to be very unfriendly. Like, we used to make... Fun of people that were too friendly, be like, man, that dude's too friendly, you know? And, and, and we had this saying that people will take your kindness for weakness, right? And especially when we was incarcerated, you can't be too friendly up in there. You get what I'm saying? Not that I've ever been incarcerated in my life or anything. But you had this saying that people will take your kindness for weakness, and so you would walk around very brash and unhumble and unfriendly because you didn't want nobody to take advantage of that. And so not being normal in today's standards means to be the person that mind boggles everyone with your behavior. 
And so submitting to rulers and authorities, that sounds difficult, but it's what Jesus did. It's what the Apostle Paul did. Paul writes to Titus saying to remind them to be these things. Look, it's one thing to disagree and speak truth, but it's a whole nother thing to misrepresent Christ in doing that. We live in a society where our rulers and authorities have some concepts, mindsets, and beliefs that contradict what the Word of God tells us, right? And I'm not saying, hey, you got to be okay with that. Matter of fact, the Word says not to be okay with that. But the Word also says that you need to conduct yourself like Christ whenever you're not okay with that. But sometimes we don't necessarily do that in the best way. Sometimes we approach that in the wrong way. And then what happens? People hear the wrong message. Instead of hearing love and Christ and freedom and grace, they hear hate and disruption. That should never be what we're about. We su- subject ourselves to the rulers and authorities. We submit ourselves to that. To be ready to do good. You can do a whole lot of good in a bad situation. No matter the circumstances, you can do something good. And you can show people Christ. We don't combat hate with hate. We ain't called, we, ain't, we are not called to do that. We're called to be like Christ. First Peter 3 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Right? Man, if every time somebody came up to me with a contradicting idea, belief, or mindset, And I told them, man, that's stupid. You know what I mean? Or I just hated on them or anything else. Do you really think that they would hear anything else I say after that? No, they wouldn't. And some people will be like, well, that's unfair. That's unjust. We should just not stand for things like that. You're right. We shouldn't stand for some things the world condones. But what I'm saying is the way that we present the truth shouldn't look like the normal way that the world presents it either. You get what I'm saying? I'm hoping some of y'all are quiet because you're like, oh, that's me. Just saying. We stand in the blessed assurance of Christ Jesus, and it's because of that we live a new life. We don't act like the world does. We humble ourselves because of the way Christ humbled himself. We approach things being peaceable and gentle, not slandering anyone, because that will blow the minds of the people that are watching. It'll completely blow their minds. It'll mess them up. They'll be like, why is he being so friendly? And then you say, it's because of Jesus. Not because of me. It's because of Jesus. You want to further the gospel? Do some stuff that mind boggles people. Don't be normal. There are a bunch of normal people walking around. We're called to be set apart more than a conqueror, to do things in Christ's name with the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells inside of us. That shouldn't cause you to be normal. That should call you to be something different. That's what Paul did, and guess what? That's what Jesus did. Paul, who was in chains for the gospel and martyred, and even Christ himself submitted to the authority and was crucified under Pontius Pilate. We don't ever think of it like that. Jesus turned everything that the world knew upside down, completely mind-boggled everyone. And why do we show humility towards all men? Verse 3, at one time... We, too, were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. 
Sometimes we forget that without Christ and what he has done for us, it's impossible for us to do good. It's impossible for us to be ready to do good. The second thing that I think is uh, necessary for a person to conduct himself as a kingdom man is to remember his grace. Right? Verses 4 through 8. I'm going to just kind of read them real quick. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. You ain't saved yourself. I'm just telling you that. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who you have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, right? I'll say this. Whenever I was preparing a message on Titus 3, uh, it's not my normal, you know, go-to chapter if I'm preparing a message because it's very like, there it is. You get what I'm saying? They're like, not too many ways we can wrap this up, but like, it's just, there it is. I mean, remember his grace. And I got to tell you this, our own kindness and love could not save the world's problem, but his kindness and love will. We were saved from malice, envy, and hatred. We were saved from sin and delivered from the world of darkness. I think it's pretty amazing how Paul writes this. Because there's nothing we could have ever done to save ourselves, right? It's interesting how some dudes walk around with control issues whenever it is blatantly obvious that you don't have a good life because of anything you're in control of, right? Like God's grace. It's not because of righteous things we had done. A kingdom man places himself under God's direction and submits his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He must become greater and I must become less. It's that simple. Everybody keeps trying to elevate themselves to a point. And the reality is that ain't where God wants you to be. By his sovereign grace alone, God raised you from being dead in your sins and gave you a heart, gave you a new understanding of the truth and brought you and and brought you personally to know him. God's grace leaves you a different person than you were before. You can't go on being the same old person you were and experience the love of Christ. Will you make more mistakes? Absolutely. Guess what? Your boy makes mistakes all the time. Okay? Don't ever for a second think that because I speak places, I'm highly visible and stuff, that I, I somehow am sinless because that definitely ain't true. You get what I'm saying? But I'm also going to tell some of you, and I want you to hear this with grace, okay? You can't be sinless either. Because if you could, then Jesus wouldn't have been necessary. You get what I'm saying? All right, I'm going to just kind of, I'm going to just kind of 86 these notes real quick. Okay. The gospel has never been just about making bad people good. It's been about making dead people alive. Okay. That's the truth. Why do you think we call it the alive retreat? Because we ain't trying to make bad people good. We're trying to make dead people alive. 
We walk around with resurrection power living inside of us. But before you can experience the resurrection, you must die to yourself. There's too many people acting like they got to have it figured out. They got to control things. They got to do stuff the way that they got to do it. You're wrong. You don't have to do what you want to do. Instead, submit yourself to Jesus Christ and watch what he does with you. Okay? Mm. A kingdom-minded man refusing to be normal, residing in God's grace, doesn't try to live to achieve victory because he knows he already got it. Let me say that again for the people in the back. A kingdom-minded person does not live to achieve victory because they know they already got it. Okay? It's already there. It's already done. It is finished. Testelestai, man. You don't try to achieve victory. You already got it. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. There you go. And and then where it talks about there, the Holy Spirit is renewing us day by day. We've been baptized into Christ, right? An outward display of an internal change. Heaven touches earth. Baptism, right? We give our, we give our lives to Christ. A new thing has come. Death to sin, alive in Christ, right? Romans 6. If we have shared with him in his death, then surely we will share with him in his life. Okay? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Walk in the freedom of knowing that. Don't walk around a slave to your sins because that's already been put to death. It's already been taken away. So, that's what we have to remember also. You know, I worked as a counselor and the number one reason why unbelievers say they have a problem with Christianity is because of the way Christians act. Right? They always say, man, it's just a, it just seems hypocritical for me to see these Christians act a certain way. I'm like, well, there's, it's actually deeper than that, but, but the truth is like the way that you act, the way that you conduct yourself is important. Guys, sometimes we get it wrong. We really do. So if you notice, I'm having trouble reading this screen. We've been out at camp and it's super, hey, Derek, is there, um, you got like some Windex or something? Maybe I could clean this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. This is just, it's been hard to read this. You know, sometimes we get it wrong. And it's because we wear all the Bible verse t-shirts and have bumper stickers. But then because of our actions and demeanor, we give people the wrong message. You get what I'm saying? Thank you so much, Derek. Derek, you're an angel. You're an angel. Thank you. Let me just wipe this real quick. How many of y'all use Windex? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a beautiful color. Have you ever noticed? Right? Have you ever just wondered what it tastes like? What? It's actually not bad. Man. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Y'all thought, y'all thought that this was just Windex, right? No, see, because of how it was presented and the label it has, you think it's Windex. You don't know it's Gatorade in here, right? 
Some of us are walking around with the wrong package. We're walking around with the wrong actions. You're walking, your talk ain't adding up. You're walking around acting like you're going to help somebody clean something up when the truth is you live with things inside of you that can give uh, quenching uh, thirst to people. You can quench somebody's thirst with what you have inside of you. But you're just trying to clean things up, just like I thought this was Windex. It was presented the wrong way. Oh, well, you acted like it was Windex. There's a lot of you acting like you Christians, too. If anybody wants to give me a job next week, that would be great. Just saying, let the outside match the inside. Let the outside match the inside, man. Like I said, we wear all the Bible verse t-shirts, the bumper stickers, but then because of our actions and demeanor, we give people the wrong message. We're not being gentle and forgiving, saying positive and uplifting things. Instead, we're riding around with a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker. Then when someone honks, they turn around and give them one finger sign language. It's true. Undercover Christians. Undercover Christians, man. You see them in Walmart parking lot all the time. You get what I'm saying? Walking around angry. A lot of men do this because they have some deep-rooted insecurities. And those deep-rooted insecurities tell them they're not good enough. And so when they walk around, they got to act like they're better than everybody. It's false. It's not what Jesus did. It is not how Jesus conducted himself. It's not what he did at all. Paul writes, I want you to stress these things. Why? Because when you trust in God and his redeeming love, you are devoted to doing what is good. And guess what? It says, this is profitable for everyone. Not just you. It's an outwardly focused thing. It's outwardly to everybody. It's profitable for them all. We show them Christ. We wouldn't go around doing bad things if we had Jesus hanging out with us. You need to live your life like he's right beside you. Guess what? Because he is, right? The last thing that I'm going to say that uh, kingdom-minded people should do is be above the drama, okay? Be above the drama. Be above the drama, right? Look at verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Because these things are unprofitable and useless. I don't know how much more plain that gets. It's unprofitable and useless. Who does it help? The Greek word here for avoid is... Uh, Peristemi. I don't say it right. I ain't Greek. Your boy from the projects, okay? But it, it's peristemi. I, I, I literally went on Google and listened to the pronunciation 30 times. Still don't got it. Uh, meaning to turn oneself about. So basically turn away from, 
foolish controversies, genealogies, arguments, and quarrels, a.k.a. turn away from the drama. Don't get caught up in all the drama. You get what I'm saying? Say the drama for your mama. You know what I mean? That, that whole thing. And why is Paul writing this? Because the Jewish rabbis of Crete spent their time building up imaginary genealogies for characters of the Old Testament. So Paul is telling Titus, remind them that quarreling over these things is unprofitable and useless. Rather, be kind, considerate, and helpful at home and at work. A kingdom man is humble and rises above the drama. Don't get into issues with divisive people. Verses 10 and 11. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. I think sometimes we feel like we have to entertain things that we just shouldn't entertain. Right? Get caught up in some drama for no reason. Like, man, I really got to, man, I really need to tell that person about themselves. <laughs> you know, I'm going to tell them too. How many times that worked out great when you didn't have Christ in the center? Now, there is good godly accountability, right? My friends that you see on this front row hold me accountable all the time. And yeah, they confront me with things. But because the love of Christ is at the center of that, it always has a positive result. There's a positive yield from that confrontation, right? There's some people that just aren't in that place. There's some people that don't know Christ. And so whenever you come and you're like, look, I'm going to get up in this drama and I'm going to tell them about themselves. Guess what happens? Doesn't work. Goes back to the actions thing. Let your actions do the talking for some people because getting caught up in a quarrel about it ain't going to do anybody any favors. It's unprofitable. It's useless. It's interesting, that word useless. Why is it useless? I feel like if I tell somebody about themselves, it's going to change everything. You ain't that important. I think sometimes we entertain things that we shouldn't. Most of the time, it's because our egos are involved. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail with this. um, But, man, not too long ago, there was this guy. And, like, he was like, man, you know, he he has a certain set of beliefs and everything. And and I was doing this study with some people. And uh, basically, what I was told was, like, man, this guy's coming back next week. And he wants to get into a theological cage match with you. And I'm like, I'm not doing any of that. I've been reading Titus 3 for a month. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I ain't doing any of that. I'm not getting caught up in any quarrel about law or anything else. Why am I not getting caught up in that? Because if somebody's watching and seeing us arguing and debating over things that just really don't matter, at the end of the day, nobody's coming to Christ in that. Christ didn't be elevated. And I personally don't want to entertain anything in which I'm trying to get my point of view across. I'm here to glorify Christ, not myself and what I think. You get what I'm saying? We should focus on doing good and not getting caught up in some senseless, unprofitable drama. Because things like that only bring glory to self, trying to battle your point of view. Like it says, self-condemned, rise above the drama. Then in concluding this letter in Titus, Paul gives some final remarks of encouragement and community. Talks about people that he's sending. And then in verse 14, he says, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives.
Man, doing what's good may not always be the most popular thing. Matter of fact, people will say it's not normal. It also makes you rely on God's unmerited grace and love. Let me tell you something. I messed it up time and time again. And I'm thankful that I have a church, pastors and elders that are open about this gap that we live. Between the things that we want to do and the things we don't want to do. Like the Apostle Paul said, things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. I just can't help but do this. Any of y'all ever felt like that? I just can't help but do the thing I don't want to do. Man. You know, leading up to this retreat and this Sunday, I was probably being attacked with insecurity and doubt more than I had ever been attacked before. You know, I've made some mistakes. And in those mistakes, the enemy was telling me, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Nobody will ever hear what you have to say. He's telling me that I'm not qualified to do anything that I'm doing, whether it be lead Celebrate Recovery with Derek, whether it be go to this men's retreat and try to help some men experience freedom, whether it's get on this stage and then preach the Word of God. enemy was telling me, you can't do any of that because you're a sinner. because of godly men in my life. God used them to speak truth into that situation. Don't you get it? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. There's not a single one of us that are actually qualified to do anything that we do. And I know there's some people under the sound of my voice right now that you're wondering, what is it that I'm supposed to do? I can tell you, as as some of these men got up and they rang that bell, a lot of them, I kept hearing the same things. I'm tired of running from God, and I'm trying to figure out what my purpose is. And we all have that. We all have a purpose. And it's because of God's unmerited grace and love. That we have that purpose. Elvis Presley was a guy that at his time of death had over 300 people impersonating who he was. Now there's thousands. Sold millions and millions of records. Held held records for how many records he sold. Had wealth, a home, a home that people still go visit to this day. Elvis Presley had it all. But then after he died, his daughter was speaking to a a journalist that was writing for Reader's Digest. And she said a lot of things about her dad. But she said that as as he was going through things and even when he was at the height of his success, he always felt like he was missing something. He felt like he wasn't living according to his purpose. See, Elvis was a believer. That's why he kept going back to the old gospel songs continuously. He'd go back to them. He'd go back to them. He'd go back to them. It's because he had this pool. He had this this thing inside of him that was like, hey, you got all this stuff, but you're not living in your purpose. Charlotte, North Carolina, there's a revival going on. It's a two-day revival. 
And there's these two teenage boys that find themselves there. They're a little unruly. And so they, they get there and there's not really a lot of seats. And so they're like, look, I'm going to just stand in. We're just going to stand in the back. We're not going to get we're not going to get too involved or anything. And then an usher walks up to him and says, hey, I got I got a couple of seats over here for you up here towards the front by the choir. And so this usher then walks them over and they stand there. They listen to what the minister had to say that day. And then they say, you know what? Tomorrow we're going back. There's nothing that's going to stop us from going back. And so they go back and then the next day, them two boys give their life to Christ. One of those boys, his name was Grady Wilson. And the other boy, his name was Billy Graham. And I don't know if you are called to be the next Billy Graham or if you're called to be the usher that walks the next Billy Graham up to the spot that he needs to be to hear the message. But you have a purpose. You have a calling. But guess what has to happen? Come to an end of yourself. You surrender. I know that there's people in here struggling. You may not necessarily be struggling with a sin or an action, but maybe you're struggling with a mindset. Maybe you're struggling with doubt. Maybe you're struggling with insecurity. Maybe you're struggling with depression, anxiety, fears of all kinds. We have this bell over here. And what we're going to get ready to do is we're going to offer an invitation for every single one of you. Male, female, young, older, or anything else. To come and just signify, hey, I surrender it. I'm letting it go. And let me tell you something. Jesus Christ, he gets to the tomb of Lazarus. And when he gets to that tomb, he walks up there boldly. There's everybody doubting. There's rabbis out there. They're saying that you can't do whatever you do. Why is he walking up to the grave? And then Jesus walks up to that grave. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And then guess what happens? Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And then after he comes out of the tomb, he says, put away the grave clothes because you don't need them no more. You're not dead, but you're alive. Like I said, we ain't here to make bad people good. We're not here to clean people up. We're here to quench thirst because that's what God's called us to do. We're here to make dead people alive. And all I'm saying is right now, Jesus is before you calling you out by name. And he's not doing it on a general basis. Because Christ was so powerful, had he not said his name directly, every single person would have come out of that tomb. And it wasn't time for that yet. So right now, here today, this morning, Christ is calling you out by name. And he says, I have a purpose for you. I have a calling for you. I have something that I want to do with your life. I have something that I want to give you, things that will make you never thirst again, a living water that will quench things in your life for time and times to come. And so whatever that is, I want you to come up here and I want you to ring that bell because we're going to pray with you and we're going to love on you and we're going to allow Christ to work in whatever that situation is.